Hey, this is Darren Tyler. Thank you so much for joining us at the podcast of Conduit Church. For more information about Conduit, you can go to conduitchurch.com. What would be the one sin that would make God so angry, that would actually be so vile that he would need to destroy a city to keep it from spreading because of how destructive it would be? If I were to ask you that question, what would that one sin, what would the city be that comes to mind? Sodom, Gomorrah. And I think that the sin would come to mind would be sexual immorality, wouldn't it? But that's not what the Bible said. That's not why. The Bible says in Ezekiel 16 that the sin of Sodom, as I live, declares the Lord, Sodom, your sister and her daughters, have not done as you and your daughters have done, but verse 41, behold, this was the guilt, the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. They were abundant food. Careless ease. I, I love the uh, King James's prosperous ease. Had too much time on their hands. And she did not help the poor and the needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw fit. Interesting on that list, what's not there or what we maybe didn't think would have been there. But what's intriguing to me is that if you were to sort of superimpose that list on the United States, it kind of fits, don't it? It stings a little bit. And when you think about helping the poor and the needy, if you're like me, you think, well, where do I even start with that? But maybe even further, like, why is it so important for God that that would be like a a big problem for him? And I think that the the problem when you get to extreme poverty, is it ringing as bad as it sounds like it is to me, or am I dreaming this whole thing? Okay. Maybe I'm in the spirit and there's some sort of God (laughs) reverb going on. We can pretend, right? In the beginning, when God put Adam in the garden, and he had enough, he had plenty, and there was no need. And it was interesting to me because it was after the fall that God then decided that here's how we can, here's how I can protect mankind. I can create. And keep man in a way where even in the fallen world, that with this then we can, mankind can propagate and can survive. And he would say to Adam and Eve, go and be fruitful and multiply. And in that picture of a man and a woman and the children is the picture of God. The man, the masculine side of God, Jehovah Jireh, his name in the Hebrew. Coming together with El Shaddai, which is a Hebrew word for God that Amy Grant didn't invent. That means the all-breasted one. No kidding. It was a maternal picture of God. In the beginning when God 
brooded over the waters. It's a maternal word. God is neither he nor she. He is other. But in mankind, with a he and a she coming together with the children that can procreate, we can create after our own kind. We can provide the best atmosphere for children to be raised so that those children can go up and create families of their own someday. But in a fallen world, when you knock something over, well, that was well-timed. Stuff breaks when you drop stuff (laughs) sometimes. And in a fallen world, man, some stuff is broken. And the family unit breaking down is one of the greatest problems, tragedies facing our world. Not just today, but from time immemorial. Because in the very beginning when God said, I'm going to put a family together and create a family, it wasn't long after till Cain and Abel started fighting. And one of them would die and the attack on the family began. But in the fallen world that we live in, the attack on the family is an attack on the picture that God gave us of his relationship to us. Not only was it the way that he would create us and and salvage something from the fall that we could then provide for our families and, and raise more children that could then go on and create more families But it was a picture of his relationship with us. God didn't say, I am your pastor. He didn't give us a picture of a pastor of his relationship with us. And thank God for that. He didn't say the CEO or a president. It was a father was the picture he gave of us. It's a a fight against. It's a war against the picture that God gave us. And thirdly, a thing that I just have, it is fascinating to me, is that when this picture breaks down, whether it's in Haiti or whether it's in Franklin or Thompson Station or, or the Grove, represent <laughs> the borough, west side, no, it's east side. What's the gang sign for you guys over in the borough? Is it <laughs> you Franklin guys, I know it's hard out there on the streets. Uh, it's hard to make an F, right? That's, you don't want to be in a gang where your sign is an F. But when it breaks down, you've got children who have no parents. At its worst, we have children who have no parents. Today, around the world, around this country, is Orphan Sunday. It's a time for the Church of America and Russia and wherever to join together in one voice and acknowledge that we as a church have a responsibility to not let Satan attack the family, and when it happens for us then to go and to be what God said he would be, which was a father to the fatherless, Psalm 68 tells us. that he would set the solitary in a family. There are, unfortunately, right now, 1.5 million children in Europe that live in public care. There are 12.4 million orphans in Latin America and the Caribbean, 43.4 million in sub-Saharan Africa. Interesting that Asia, 87.6 million. Now, the story normally you would think of in orphan care and what happens, what's happening with children around the world. By the way, this is just scratching the surface. And of course, 
If I just leave it at numbers, then it's just a statistic and we can all go home and pretend that didn't happen. Because I can't get, I can't get my mind wrapped around that. It's like going out to the fire hydrant and trying to get a drink. It doesn't work. I actually tried that because as a kid. I mean, I grew up, like, you know, I grew up really poor, but that was really one of the best entertainments was that once a year when they come around and screw off the fire hydrant and, yeah, you can't drink from that. <laughs> because it doesn't tell the story of what's happened with children in the way that maybe Vio could tell you the story. Vio's my little buddy in Haiti. Vio's parents didn't die. Vio had a mama and a brother, but Vio's mama got a new baby's daddy, which means new babies. And all of a sudden, Vio, who lives 100 yards from where our church is in Haiti, suddenly started losing weight and suddenly started not showing up for school and suddenly was in really bad danger because the new father didn't want any part of him. And they would gladly adopt him if we would pay. Because we live in a fallen world. Now, I don't know whose fault that is, but I know whose fault it's not. It's not Vio's fault. And the story might not just be about what's happening with an orphan who's been orphaned like Vio or someone who's lost their mother and father to AIDS in Africa. It might be a guy that really wanted to provide for his children. This is Pastor Perot. And that's his house after the earthquake in January of 2010. I met Pastor Perot April of 2010 in a tent city in Jacmel. He came there. It was an hour. Well, that's really not true. It should be an hour. It's actually a four-hour drive over the mountain. But he walked there because the roads were washed out. And he walked there because he heard that the church was feeding and had food and supplies and provision and I met him in a tent city, and this is his new church, because his church was destroyed in the earthquake. That behind us was the Swiss, our, uh, Swiss Army's uh, medical tent. And they let him use that on Sunday for a gathering, and Pastor Perot preached still the gospel of Jesus. But Pastor Perot has three children. And if you're a pastor, and 10% of zero is... What do you do? What happens often is that somebody like Pastor Perot would say, please take my children, not because he doesn't want them, but because he wants them to be cared for. Not because he doesn't love them, but because he does love them. That's the dirty little secret of Haiti is that over half of the orphan population has parents. It might be a single mom who she's not loose, and just that a man came along and promised to love her and to take care of her, and she believed him. And he loved her, and then he left her, and she had two children, and, and then it happened again. And before you know it, you've got five children and four different daddies and a mama who doesn't know what to do except for to beg you to please take my children. Take one of them, just one of them, to give them a chance. And God would say to Sodom, you didn't take care of the poor and the needy. That don't fly. Because you tear up the picture of God. You tear up the picture of his love for us. It would be the picture of adoption, incidentally, that he would use in Ephesians 1 to tell us that that's you and I, how we get to be in his family. We are ad adopted in and we are given just like the children that are represented in this room who have been adopted. You get all of the benefits 
all of the blessings, all of the care and the love that comes to the blood siblings. Our blood sibling is, our adopted sibling is Jesus, but we are his co-heirs in righteousness. Oftentimes in Scripture, God will give an opportunity for someone to do something, to live something out that actually is a picture of what he does in the Spirit. The book of Hosea, and go marry this prostitute, Gomer, and she's going to be not faithful to you, but you stay with her. And he, by doing so, is giving a picture to us of God's unrelenting love for us. I believe that the picture of adoption, of taking care of the orphans, taking care of the widows, is a picture of God that he invites us to be a part of and to participate in on this side of heaven. Because when we do that, Theo gets just a whisper of Eden of the way that it was supposed to be. He gets a glimpse of the glory that is to come. And he gets to have a family here. I believe that as a church, I believe that as, as a church, meaning we are the church, it is our honor, our privilege, the exciting part of participating in what God has invited us to do in his kingdom, our building program to build the body of Christ. What better way to do it than to Go for those and to help those who have no voice themselves. To not disqualify myself to say, I, I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. That is such bull. We're all gifted in ways where we could all participate. The answer of what do we do? I know one answer is nothing is not the answer. And I believe that there are some options. And I'm going to introduce you in a minute to some of the families in our body. But one of the options that you can participate in, everybody in this room can participate in, is simple. It's child sponsorship. That's a no-brainer. This is Farah. When we started sponsoring Farah in Haiti, she was like this tall. She was 10 years old, 9 years old. She's now 17. She's my oldest daughter's age, coincidentally. $35 every month that we send, and Farah gets to actually go to school. She wouldn't get to go to school. Farah has already beat the odds. She's 17, and she's in Haiti, and she's not pregnant. In fact, in this little village that we work in, Monoge, the teen pregnancy rate has plummeted. There are 400, over 400, maybe 450 kids that are sponsored right now through an organization that I got to help start that I was served on the board for years with called Restore Haiti. If you're interested in an organization that can make a difference in some kids' lives starting tomorrow, RestoreHaiti.com. No, 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 that's not right. RestoreHaiti.org? I need, I need this to be right. <laughs> One of them is not right. Google Restore Haiti in Nashville and you'll get there. And that's Dennis and Joanne Swain. Their daughter, Teresa, runs the nuts and bolts of this organization from behind the scenes. She's used her gift of uh, the anointing of spreadsheets. <laughs> These are the two children that we've sponsored in Uganda since 2008. That's Rebecca and uh, Nikata, which actually goes by Blessed Hope. Dot com, restorehaiti.com. Yep, 
We started sponsoring these two in 2008. They're growing up. In fact, Blessed Hope on the left, her daddy is a pastor as well. He pastors in a shed, in a shack, in a shanty town in Kampala, Uganda. And uh, Compassion is another great organization. In fact, they just did a study with Compassion, you know, for years. You know, I don't know what it is about people that sit in cubicles and blog, but man, they got nothing but time and opinions. And you go, oh, I don't think, I think child sponsorship actually harms the kids. And And one of the things that was the problem was all the child sponsorship organizations were actually afraid to let anybody test out to see if it would work. Because if they were wrong, what do you do? But Compassion leaned forward and said, you know what, we'll let you do this study. And what they found out was the numbers were inarguable. The child sponsorship does not harm a child. It gives them a chance, a fighting chance. At $35 a month, give or take, you can sponsor a child. You can also do something that we have done here as a church body, which is direct financial aid. And what that has done is that, remember Vio with the question mark, apparently, for some reason? Don't know where the picture went. It just disappeared. Fascinating. It's going to be that kind of a morning. Vio lives in a home called Restoration House that this body of believers paid for to be built. $75,000, and Vio, along with 13 other children, live in this home they are fed, and they are going to school, and they've got a house parents in there and being raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Vio. Because we as a body funded that. I believe, we talked about this a little bit Friday night. We had a meeting with our small group leaders, and we're building a lot of buildings in America. I just feel like we're building the wrong ones. Let's build some schools and orphanages and hospitals, and I, we can meet in a school for crying out loud. This is pretty nice. And spend that money on something that matters. The Pastor Perot, which unfortunately I'm sure his picture's not going to show up there either. Talked to him last night. All three of his kids are getting to go to school again this year. And we're about to pay to have his house repaired after the quake. They've moved back to Port-au-Prince. And I made a promise to Perot that day that if you'll take care of your church and we'll help take care of your kids. And so now they're on the 12th and the 13th grade and they're going to get ready to go to university. We've been able to be a picture of God to Perot to remember that I'm not forgotten. Even a pastor needs to hear that sometimes. He still doesn't speak a lick of English, but we've got one of our little... uh, (laughs) Our rogue agents, Paul, he's our teacher of the school in Jock and He was with him last night. So tomorrow we'll wire the money down there and they'll be back in school starting in November. That's us as a church. That's your money. You are doing that. That's not my money. That's our money. I'm glad that picture showed up. Theo is a little buddy in India. You guys might remember his story. It was money that believers part of this body that sent out Eric and Tizra Fadley and Audrey Pate, and he received a surgery that caused him an enormous amount of uh, relief from the pain that he suffered from. I don't think this picture is going to show up. Padma, just this year, is another little girl who needed surgery. And Fadley's, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this out loud money-wise, but the Fadley's who went to India, they had money in their account from their mission for India. We sent 
$2,000 of that that paid for Padma's surgery. She's an orphan with special needs. We have, a, we have a, a, not an obligation, an opportunity to get to do some amazing things so that Padma gets to know that being found in a trash dump in India is not the way that God meant it to be. I don't know that that was her story specifically, but that's a story of many of the special needs kids in India. And you and I get the, the privilege to say, no, 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 Padma, that's not it. And more to Satan, to just give him It's not supposed to be that way. And us, how do we overcome evil? Good. To say to the kingdom of darkness, not on my watch. We can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. A lady in Uganda told me once, I was like, I'm looking around the first time I ever went, and I don't know what to do. She said, Darren, when a tsunami comes, you can only do what you can do, which is grab a bucket and start bailing. I'm only responsible for my bucket. You're responsible for your bucket We can financially support our brothers and sisters. We're getting ready to build a school in Jockmel. The teacher ratio right now is one teacher for every 70 or 80 students. It's ridiculous. (laughs) But they don't know what else, and they got to pay for that. But what else do you do? And the answer is, is, well, we change that. When the school opens in a year, it'll be one teacher and one assistant for every 20 children. And I believe... The leaders, the future leaders, the future presidents, the future governors and pastors and evangelists of Haiti are sitting in those classrooms right now. We need 50 grand. We're getting close. We've got 36,000 of it already, and we're almost there. We're going to send a check, and we're going to get it done. And it's going to double as our Bible Institute for the 20-somethings. Hey, you're great. Now you're, you're 18, you're 19 years old. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You've been studying. You're a Christian, and, but well, now what do you do? I don't know, get him a passport, send him to Togo, go, go be evangelists in Haiti, go into all the world. It's not a right that was exclusively for Americans. The third thing that we can do is maybe the most upfront and personal for us. The picture of adoption is the one that Jesus, that Paul would say, hey, he has adopted you into his body. In Ephesians 1, he says that he chose you. The picture of adoption is perfect for that. Because you go and you meet this child. You meet Dorothy. You meet Mateo. And you chose them. You meet them. And he, he chose them not because of how awesome or prosperous. Or, but because they, just because they were. And that's the picture that he chose for us. Said that I'm choosing you. Before the foundations of the world, I've chosen you. I love what Spurgeon said. I think it's good that he chose me before then, because if he would have waited, he might not have chosen me. <laughs> Saw how I turned out. He chose you. And he spent an enormous sum for you. And if you have adopted or you've been around adoption, you might understand what many adoptive parents know. It is a tremendous, expensive undertaking. The money is, it seems unattainable. And yet, God. (laughs) And yet, God will provide like he does over and over again. I don't remember who said it. I wish it was me because it's tweetable. But 
when you're doing something that God is already doing, you don't have to ask for it to be blessed. It's by its very virtue already blessed. If God is tapping on your heart to adopt in this room not long ago, Eric and Tizra, we shared the video of their adoption with Dorothy, and there was a family sitting in here, and they shared that it was that morning that God tapped them on the shoulder, and now they have a, a baby that they adopted. God might be stirring in your heart, and he might stir in your heart to sponsor a child. He might tap on your shoulder and say, hey, by what we're doing there in Jock Mel, there are mamas of, at this point, 450 children who don't have to consider adoption because their kids are provided for. They've got school and they've got food and they've got a chance. You might be tapping on your heart for that or he might be tapping on your heart for the big one. And that's for you to adopt yourself. In our body of believers, if you are here this morning, I don't know who's here and who's not, and you've already taken a journey of adoption to adopt a child, would you stand up where you are? The shucks are not here this morning. Out of curiosity, if you were adopted, would you stand up? Let that sink in. You can be seated. This is the story of lives that are forever changed and different. The picture of God's love. Jeff and Sheila from Ukraine, right? Was where you guys adopted from? Stand up. Tell us about your, your children. Um, I'm going to back up just a little bit because this was all possible because... Up until 2009, I was in Christian media, but my life was so far away from God. And when God did a work in my life and restored our marriage, God had planted some seeds in our life, and uh, particularly mine because I work with foster kids. For whatever reason, from the goodness of God of transforming my life and our marriage, I just knew that I knew we should adopt. And uh, it, was a, it was a great journey but it was a, not an easy journey. We had to raise about $41,000, but supernaturally God provided. That's what he does. And six months in, my wife, we're talking to a couple, and she says, I knew from the age of 15 that I would adopt from Eastern Europe. I don't know where uh, she missed that little tidbit to tell me, but that was awesome. <laughs> should have come because up premarital counseling, yeah. <laughs> I just saw you know, God's faithfulness. And, and um, how did we pick Ukraine? It was really through prayer, and God just supernaturally confirmed it. And I don't want to go, there's, a, there's another story. But uh, we arrive in Ukraine, and we go to a little room because we didn't know who we were going to adopt. They threw us folder after folders, and we just settled on uh, Lisa and Zhenya. And I just said, God, I don't want to go to an orphanage and turn these kids down in any way possible because maybe their health or other reasons, because I've read other blogs. And I prayed that night, and the Holy Spirit just told me, that is your children. And so I had a confidence, you know, we went to the orphanage. And a lot of people wrestle with this, especially, I think, if you have your own kids. 
How do you know that you're going to love them as much as your own? All I can tell you is, is that we met Lisa the next, I guess it was two days later, we met her again. I'm going to cry. But um, good. the translator brought her out, and she said, Papa, Papa. And she hugged me, and at that moment I knew I would die for that child. Because God did something supernaturally, because truly he adopted me back into his family for all the rotten things I did and the just running from God for years. He was still faithful. And they have changed our life. That's why we went off to Bible college and other things, because of this goodness of seeing what they did in our life. It's the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Lori. You may have to turn around. Lori, I did not give you a heads up, so I would like to apologize. <laughs> she loves to speak in public. You tell us about your journey. Should I stand? Yeah, you probably should. Um, it probably started when I was growing up. I kind of always knew at some point I wanted to adopt or help orphans or do something. Um, in '98, I started thinking about it, adopting someone from Russia and naming her Katerina, and all kind of tried to get a volunteer job at an adoption agency, mm-hmm. and that didn't really work out. Then 2004, I built my house, and it was big and gorgeous, and I had to share it with somebody. So by Christmas, by the end of the year, I had the adoption applications all turned in, and the process had begun. And a year and a half later, I was coming home with a little girl who celebrated her first birthday about the same time I moved into that house. I didn't realize that. I remember that. Hmm. And she... She's from Russia? Yeah. Yeah. She's from Siberia, somewhere in the middle of rural, snowbound Siberia, who now complains when it's 60 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. As far as when I met her, I had traveled over by myself. And so with everybody else that was in the group that I joined, we all went to their orphanage together. So it's this whole big group thing. Katja had been moved to the new baby house with all the other toddlers, so I was there by myself with a child who really wasn't interested in anything but the cookies. Mm. And I wasn't given much of a choice. I just knew that whoever it was, that was who I was taking home. Mm. And then the second trip was a little bit... We started over in April, and the dog ate my passport. Got to come right back home. I remember that. Left the pastor's wife in Moscow by herself. (laughs) And then went back at the end of the month over Easter and got my daughter. And she's full of life. You've seen Katya around here. She's just sweet and a blessing. I'm so glad that God has brought her. Just turned ten. Ten. Man. It's awesome. Thank you, Lori. uh, Yes. Our newest... I'm sorry, Kimmy. I know that Bucky, uh, Kimmy's husband, Bucky, is on a plane back from Nepal right now. So it's on you. Can you tell us? Tell us just tell us about your story. What just happened? Tell us about your baby. This is Evie, and she's from Arkansas. How old is Evie? She will be nine months this month. And God said adopt. 
And we said yes. And he gave us the money. It just fell in place. She's supposed to be ours. I don't know. And how long has it been since you've had her? We were there when she was born. So yeah. we brought her home from the hospital two days later. Right. And how many months? She'll be nine now? months. Nine yeah. months now. The newest member of the conduit family. You can meet her and hold her today. I'm sure Mama wouldn't She's mind. <laughs> Wake her up. That's pretty good. Thanks, Kimmy. And then there are the papi, which is plural for papas. And their little boy, Mateo, who is one of my little boy's best buddies from Guatemala, a bruiser, yep. not afraid. Tell us about Mateo and your journey. I didn't know uh, I was going to talk, so. Yep. <laughs> my wife's a better storyteller. Oh, thanks. Um, she, he's telling the truth. All right, well, I'm like Sheila, where I just, um, ever since I was 16 years old and went to Mexico for the first time, went on a missions trip, went through the orphanages, and I was like, there's so many kids here. I must adopt one one day. So fast forward, um, we had um, Michaela. She's our biological daughter. She was about two, and I just really felt this sense of urgency that we had to get some, some things lined up to adopt our next child, which is what we had wanted to do. And so we started the fundraising, and... We decided on Guatemala. We wanted a child from Latin America and looked at all the different programs that were out there and we liked the Guatemalan program the best. And, um, you know, as far as choosing your child, we just were totally open to whoever God placed, you know, placed them with us. And um, it took probably about a year and a half, 18 months from start to finish before we brought Mateo home. Yeah, and adoption was something that, for me, growing up, um, my my dad adopted me, so I always, growing up, understood the power that just love has and how love can reshape anyone's life. And, and so, for me, that was always something where, in the back of my mind, uh, I was like, there's a lot of kids on this earth that haven't experienced love the way that God intends. And so my heart has just always been gone out for, for those kids. And um, so when we, we got on the same page, and for me, one of the weirdest aspects of adoption is the whole, like, picking a child. You know, because it's like, it's not like you're going to a grocery store and saying, you know, what type of pasta do I want? Or, yeah. you know, it's like, we're humans. You know, like, how, how do you pick a child? And all, all I can say for us was uh, we were, like, wide open. It was one of those where we were like, God put the desire for adoption in our hearts. And so it was like, we're not picking a child. You just pick it. You pick who you have, a boy, a girl, whoever it is. And it just, um, just through a number of scenarios, we had someone who, um, in the process, that she went down to Guatemala and just emailed us and was like, I found your son. And as soon as we saw photos, it was just one of those like, yep, 
he's our family. And the rest is history. He is definitely a Pappas. Yeah. <laughs> it may not be genetic, but there's something going on, right? <laughs> you know, we didn't, um, I didn't think about putting uh, the grandma, grandpas on there this morning, uh, up there. So what is not represented is that uh, Joanne and Dennis Swain's newest grandbaby uh, was uh, two months ago? Yeah, he's uh, 12 weeks old now. And, uh, you know, as grandparents, um, I'm going to be really honest with you. I didn't know how we'd all react because, you know, this, you don't, when you have a little girl and they're, you know, growing up and they dream of, you know, getting married and having children and, and, you know, the ideal life and you dream of that for them. And Teresa has not done anything normal. <laughs> and and we are so proud of her yeah. um, because she is one of my three children that are always in the right place at the right time listening to the Holy Spirit. And there is just no doubt in my mind whenever Teresa makes a major move in her life that she's prayed up, that she's heard from the Lord. Um, the rest of us, though, we were honestly, because we weren't thinking about Jonah, we were thinking about Teresa, we were, you know, we, well, can you do this? You're single, um, this is a huge responsibility, there's, you know, it takes two to raise a uh, baby sometimes, it's hard enough when a parent is single and they're trying to do it on their own, and we all had these reservations, which, you know, our family's pretty blunt with each other, <laughs> and uh, spoke out and told her that, you know, and said, you know, are you sure you're making the right move? And um, so it was, it was a stretch. It was, it was a stretch for all of us to support her, and we did, because that's our policy. When one of us decide to do something, we try to get behind each other. But we we're all very worried about her and her lifestyle being changed. Um, but I have to tell you that the day, I'm probably going to cry, the day that I was privileged enough to go get Jonah, um, it was really a game changer for me because when he brought, was brought into that room and I saw her weep because she knew this, they were bringing her son into that room. It, there was just no adoption. I mean, there was no formal um, uh, word adoption. It was, he was ours. And that was, you know, he, she could have birthed him. It didn't matter. And, and, you know, we are all very much in love with him. And, and, you know, he's, it's, it, it is a stretch. I mean, it's like, he's not our race, you know, he, it's, it's different. I'm sorry. I'm not a bigot. I love any color, 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 blue, green, orange kids, but it's just, it's different. And, um, but he just fits in. He just fits in and, and all the fears that we have are gone. And, and, I mean, Liz and I fight over who's going to hold him. I mean, we, we just can't get enough of him. And, and he's just part of us, and he's a swain, and, and we love him to death. And so don't worry about your parents or grandparents or what anybody's going to say because 
when God makes a way. And oh, the miracle, big miracle thing with this baby was is she finished the adoption in June, the paperwork. They told her average is 18 months. And personally, I mean, I even told her, I said, now, Teresa, you know, you might have to wait a really long time for a pa- for someone to find they're going to pick you because, I mean, they're going to pick a mom and a dad. They're not, they're not going to pick a single woman. And she picked up Jonah a month later. <laughs> so when God wants his way, he gets his way. As we're uh, making the adoption circle here at Conduit, uh, Nicole, would you tell us? Can you? I know, I know. Isn't this fun? Because um, you would have thought about it too much. Uh, yep. Uh, tell us what it is that you guys do at your organization. Okay. He sent me a little note yesterday, but he said he was going to explain what I did. I didn't realize I had to. I actually had to say it. Yeah. Um, I'm Nicole Dowd. This is my husband, Jonathan. I work for a group called the Retail Orphan Initiative, and we raise money through retailers um, around the country for orphan projects, foster care projects, um, vulnerable children projects, both nationally and globally. Thanks. Mm -hmm. There are... Eric and Tisha, would you join me here? There are, the the room is full, it's brimming with opportunities of God. Eric and Tisha began their journey five, how many years ago? Actually, um, we began in 2006. We have three biological children, and Lael was like a year old. And Eric said to me, hey, remember when you said you were open to adoption? You know, like when you do premarital counseling and you talk about all these life events. I mean, Lael was one. And I just kind of looked at him like, are you crazy? Like, I I was always open to it, but really? (laughs) And... um, I had to think about it. I was still kind of on board, but there was a mental process. I had to go through all my arguments, and he left on a business trip and left, <laughs> left me it to dropped just, a bomb on you. Yeah, yeah. really did. Um, I spent that whole week ruminating over it and honestly arguing a bit with God and coming up with all sorts of worries and things that um, were in the way and obstacles. And by the end of the week, though, I was completely wrestled to the floor. And I think he walked in the door from the business trip and I just like <laughs> blew a bomb on him and said, okay, yes, we're doing this. Um, so that was 2006 and I was still not even 30 and a lot of programs you have to be 30. So we settled on the country of Taiwan to adopt from and uh, our little girl is definitely from India. Yeah. So that, that process um, was kind of a journey of God helping us uncover what we were really after. And at the end of it, um, we brought home our daughter in 2009 from India. She chose us. I mean, like everybody around the room has said, it wasn't a matter of picking a child. She very much ended up in an email on Christmas Eve 2008. There was a little picture of this little girl that needed a family. And um, so she's been home four years. Yeah, four years last week. Wow. and couldn't be more perfect. What advice would you, if God's tapping somebody on the shoulder this morning, it's possible, what advice would you give them? 
I would first say that I understand any worries or questions or difficulties you may have, um, but I'd overwhelmingly say do it because all of those have faded away. And what she, if they don't have any money? Uh, <laughs> we didn't either. Yeah, who in here had money when they started their adoption process? I mean, yeah, I, 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 we spent over $30,000. I, I couldn't tell you today where it came from. I mean, there's I, like, yeah, like how, how do you come up with 30 grand? I don't know. Yeah. And I had spreadsheets, and, but I, I couldn't tell you where it came from. You'll notice the lack of surprise following that statement. So if you don't have money, what's the, what's the first step someone should take? If your God's tapping you on the shoulder, what's the first step they should take? Um, well, you have a really easy opportunity. Should I mention that? Yes. Next week. I've just, I've just queued you up. Um, <laughs> thank you. Because I realize that it's more than just a Sunday morning thing. Um, it's a long conversation. It's a lot of prayer. Eric and I are going to open our house on Friday night next week. And just very informally, anybody who wants to, even if you're slightly, slightly curious, um, come, ask us questions. We'll tell you our story. We'll give you resources. Every time that somebody has talked to me about it and said that money was in the way, I will help you fundraise. <laughs> no joke. I will help you fill out paperwork. I've, there is, she's not kidding. I'm not kidding. The paperwork I'm not kidding. queen. Because bringing home our daughter has absolutely changed our life. I know that there's a whole element in it about um, changing her life. And that's undeniable, too, but it goes both ways. And we never knew at the start what we would get out of it. And I want that for <laughs> so many more people. So, um, again, coffee at our house, 7 o'clock next Friday. I'll answer questions. I'll give you resources. I'll tell you the things I don't know and put you in touch with people that I do know and help, help you process, anyway. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for uh, leading the way as well with this, with us, with them. <laughs> Hebrews tells us to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Verse 24 of chapter 10, but in the verse right before it says, hey, when you come together, provoke one another to do good things. And to forsake not yourself. Why do we get together and gather? To provoke you. <laughs> For God to tap you on the shoulder, for the Holy Spirit to beckon to you and to share these stories. If the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder to take the big step, please see Eric and Tizer afterwards, and we'll have that on the Facebook group as well, on our website. If God wants you to maybe look into just sponsoring a child and, and prevent what happens in many cases of a child being orphaned, against really the mother's desires. That's RestoreHaiti.com. Compassion International is a reputable organization. There are many others. Those are just the ones that I've been a part of and know. I've been with Compassion. I've been to their sites. The two of my children that Shannon and I have sponsored were from Compassion. I know what they do. And maybe he would encourage you to tap you on the shoulder financially to help with what we're doing in Haiti. But I'll bet this, I'll bet if, if the answer is nothing, go back and look again. <laughs> Open up your heart again. Because I believe that the idea of what God wants to do in our hearts is 
I, it's so funny because these stories, you talk about what's happening in the child's life, but the other story is what's happening in the parent's life as well. God is a generous God, and he's asking you to give. It's almost like when he talks about give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together. We always used to think that was about money, but that's not the context at all. And I believe that what he's talking about is as you are giving, that what you are getting while you're giving is so much more pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's the story of helping those that are in need here and around the world. It's why God would be so angry that he would say to Sodom, and I tell you there, a quote from Billy Graham a while back that if he doesn't destroy America, he should apologize to Sodom. I understand we live under grace in a different dispensation, but, but when you read that list of the prosperous ease and gluttony and, and not caring for the poor and the needy, as a church, I, don't, I can't speak for America. I can only speak for me and for, for this church and this body. Not on my watch. God wants to do too many awesome things in your life. I'd ask you to uh, take some time and pray and to think through what God might be asking you to do this morning.